Well, this week we look again at another attribute of God that I hope as we study it and, and are reminded, like Isaiah did with the people he was writing to, that we understand more clearly uh, something of the truth of God and really we grow in what the title of the book is, Joy in Fearing God. We grow in a, a greater joyfulness of the God that we do serve. And this week we study the love of God. And like I say, I hope we, we leave here with a renewed wonder of the love of God. And like many of these other topics we've been studying the last three weeks, we can't cover all the aspects of the love of God, but that which we do cover, again, I hope that we can leave here with a greater wonder of his love. Uh, some might think, how could we lose the wonder of the love of God, especially when it's manifested toward us in so many wonderful ways? Well, and that would be a good, good question for you to discuss, because we do. We lose the wonder of God's love for us. We even do that in our human relationships at times. Um, men, um, don't we lose the wonder that our wives love us the way they do and that they've loved us day after day, month after month, year after year? And uh, well, it's, it should be a wonder for some of us that our wives have loved us that consistently and faithfully over the years, but we do. We at times take it for granted and, and lose the wonder of it. So. I think we need to be um, challenged in regard to what are our thoughts about the love of God and really grow again in the wonder of his love for us and not drift away, really, from enjoying the splendor and the glory of God in his love, uh, in who he is and in that love that he has for us. So this morning, what is it that sets God apart in regard to love? What is it about the love of God that we should be in awe about? Well, we can start out uh, with this understanding and reality of, of the love of God in that He is love. Now, we don't want to bring uh, a human concept of love into our study and turn God into that. Um, we want to make sure that we're, we're getting our understanding of the love of God from that which is true, and we get that right understanding from God's Word, because God's Word is truth. Uh, that's what Jesus prayed in his prayer to the Father. Father, sanctify them through your, your truth. Your Word is truth. And Titus uh, emphasize the same thing in Titus chapter 1 when he wrote and just simply stated that God never lies. So in God's word, the Bible, we do have a reliable source to learn of the love of God. And we, have our, we can have our minds renewed, which we need to have that done, and renewed unto a true knowledge of God. And so this morning we start out with that understanding that God is love. 
1 John 4, verses 8 and 16. You take time and read through that short letter of 1 John over and over again. He's helping them understand the truth about love and the love of God and how that should influence us as those who proclaim to be children of God. He says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So he's challenging them. Anyone who does not love does not love in this, this pattern of God's love. That's what he's talking about here. This, this um, redeemed love that we can know in God and through God and that we can have in our hearts and lives as well. Anyone who does not love does really, really does not know God because God is love. It is his very nature, his essence, his character, that's what he was, he's writing about when he says that God is love. We struggle with how to show love at just the right time and in the right way, but that's not the case with God. God is love. It's his nature. Uh, an apple tree is true to its nature, and it produces apples, and so it is true with God. God is always true with what he is, who he is, according to his nature. And so we can expect his love to be manifested in ways that glorify who he is as God. He doesn't contradict himself with the other aspects of his nature and attributes either. In the past three weeks or so, we've taken a look at different attributes of God. Jeremy covered his power. So when his power, we consider his power and his love, what he desires to do out of his love, he is able to do. He is God. He's all-powerful. We took a look at his holiness. His display of love is always pure and holy and right. That's again why we get our understanding of the love of God from what he's revealed to us about himself from his word. And we took a look last week at his wisdom. He knows how to display his love according to his wisdom in order to accomplish what is best and really accomplish all his wise purposes. And it's good for, again, us to, to have these truths implanted in our minds because we know we go through times when we question the love of God. What one of us haven't said that? God, don't you love me? When something has happened in our lives that we're struggling with and we're challenged with the love of God. So we get our understanding of the love of God from who he is and what his word tells us about him. And we make those truths, the truths that are foundational for us as we move through our days and let them give us that sure foundation that we need and that we can have. So God is love. Well, we see his existence as God and his nature as God 
being a God of love in his relationship within himself. It's a triune God. God's love is eternally relational. We see that in his relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit interacting in that relational love for one another. In fact, Jesus spoke of this in his prayer to the Father in John 17, even as he was displaying his love for the Father and wanting to make the Father's name known. John 17, 24 through 26, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now we're going to focus on some of that a little bit later on, but all I'm trying to emphasize at this point is the grand love that exists between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and how that love has been manifested between them throughout all eternity. Jesus said that the basis for his obedience was his love for the Father. John 14, 31. But I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. So we're seeing this relational love between the Father and the Son and also really the Holy Spirit. I mean, we identify uh, the fruit of the Spirit. One of that, those aspects of the fruit of the Spirit is love. And so Holy Spirit is love as well and manifests that love to the Father and Son. In fact, we see all three of them interacting at the baptism of Jesus. Matthew 3, 16 through 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So because God is eternal, he's always existed, no beginning, no end, and because he dwells as God three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he's been manifesting his love eternally in a pure, wonderful, glorious way. Perfect love, unchanging love, eternally loving one another, God knows what love is and how to properly express it. And that's important when we move to the area of what God has done out of his love. How really has God manifested his love? We saw it within the, the Trinity. We should expect to see God's, manifest, God's love manifested in ways that that really stand out and impress us and cause us to really respond in awe of Him. Um, it's, it's different than what we see in the world. And we see His love manifested, first of all, toward all people. We call that common grace. And how has His love been manifested toward us? Well, in the sense that He's made us in the image of God. Now we're understanding that God is love. 
And so now we're understanding, being made in the image of God, we too now also have that privilege of entering, in, entering into loving relationships. God said, let's make man in our image, after our likeness. So God made us creatures that could know love. We could experience the giving and the receiving of love. Quote from John MacArthur, the core then of the image of God can be summed up with the words personal relationship. Man is made with a capacity to love, to love others and to love God. And within the frame of that love, there is fellowship, care, sharing of thoughts and attitudes and experiences that makes love the richest of all human experiences. The image of God, then, is the capacity for personal relationships, what's come down to giving and receiving love. One thing I, I like to try and do and leave you with is, like last week we talked about the universe, the stars, et cetera, et cetera, and I encourage you, when you go out at night and look up and you see those stars, may it be the Holy Spirit who draws your attention back to the wonder of God, and while we can be in awe of the stars and what we see there, a greater wonder is the one who's put them in place. And so it is this morning when we think of this whole matter of love and the, the, the privilege that we have to enter into loving relationships with one another. When you see that manifested toward you from your wife or somebody, your children, or may that draw you to the wonder of God that you have the privilege of enjoying that, in that case, receiving that display and manifestation of love from someone to you because God has made you in his image. And even greater, that you have the opportunity to manifest and show that love to somebody else. And you know the joy that that brings. Boy, God, thank you. Thank you that you have made me such that I can know love, but then also to express it and have the joy and pleasure in expressing that love to somebody else. We only have that because God is love. And God has made us in his image. Use those as times of worship and praise for what God has done. It's a rich, rich blessing that God has given to us as people. The capacity of relational love, which the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit enjoyed for all eternity is given to people when God made us in his image. So let's, let's enjoy what God has given to us. And originally, Adam and Eve could enjoy that, and did enjoy that godly relational love with God and also with, with one another. And no other creatures that were made had that capacity. And that's really, again, what we see happening in Adam's interaction with God. What we have revealed to us in God's Word is limited to some sense, but there was that interaction God had with Adam, helping Adam understand how he was to live. Now you name the animals. Don't eat of this tree. You can eat of all these other trees. Here's this beautiful wife for you to have, and you can enjoy an overload of uh, this relational love going on 
between Adam and Eve and God and Adam and Eve and one another. And they enjoyed that for a period of time until they sinned. Um, And they did sin. And every person after them um, sinned. But even in that condition, in those sinful actions, we still see the love of God manifested towards sinful people. In this sense, that he withholds immediate, really justifiable judgment, justifiable judgment for sin. As with Adam and Eve, there were consequences for their rebellion against God, but their physical lives were spared immediate physical death, and they were allowed to live and still enjoy the riches of God as his creatures, even given a promise of a future Redeemer that would come. And of course, all people experience the same reprieve of immediate judgment when we sin against the Holy God. But there are people that misinterpret this patience of God and use it as an excuse to continue to sin. Or that God really doesn't regard what I'm doing anymore. You see that in Romans 1, or Romans 2, 1 through 5. And Paul was writing, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So the outworking or the manifestation of God's love is shown in the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience. All these are expressions of God's great love even for sinners like us before we even knew Christ. Manifestations of his love and his, the riches of his forbearance, his kindness and patience, is really meant to lead them to repentance, to that which they could enjoy in a richer and fuller sense, in knowing God, so we can rejoice again in the display of God's love for us, and that when we, even as his people, sin, there's still the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience toward us. Rejoice in the Lord. More opportunities of worshiping God because of who he is. God is love. So let's move on. God gives good gifts to all creatures and people beyond those expressions of his patience and long-suffering. Psalm 145, 9 and 15 through 16, the Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. Acts 14, 17, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seeds and satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And then once again in Matthew 5, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, 
so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust, and other verses as well. A little quote from Matthew Henry, the wisdom, the greatness, the harmony, and usefulness of the vast creation, which shall so fully demonstrate his being, do at the same time show and prove his love. So you go out, driving along the road, see the fields, the corn growing, the grain growing. Yeah, there's a lot of secondary causes taking place out there uh, that God has designed within his universe and that are still held together by the word of his power, but because of his love. He gives the rain for it to grow. Everybody recipients of the love of God. So let us, again, turn to your wife, your husband, your kids. Kids, look at that love of God out there. And they'll look at you, what are you talking about, Dad? The grain, it's growing out there. It's a rainy day. God is displaying his love for us as his creatures. Let's worship and praise him. Our children need to see what many times they don't see. And we are the ones that we can point that out to them and help them see the majesty of God, in this case, the love of God and how he cares for his creatures. Let us make them aware of the riches of God's kindness. He gives good gifts to all his creatures and people. He provides revelation of himself and his good counsel to sinners as well. In creation, we've taken a look at that in past, Romans 1, 19 through 20, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made. So they're without excuse. In creation, in his written word, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable. Really a manifestation of the love of God that we would have the truth in our very hands and be able to turn to that and know in reality that God is love. Of course, in sending his son into the world, Hebrews 1.3, I guess I missed a couple of scriptures there. Carol, you jump ahead. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of its nature. Colossians 1.15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So, so now we have this very visible manifestation of God is love in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what he was doing throughout his ministry and the climax of his ministry as well that we'll take a look at. God has put his love on display for all people to see. But he's also extended that love in very special ways to his people, his peculiar people, displayed even before the creation of the world. Ephesians 1, 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, 
even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will. God loved you before the creation of the world. God was already manifesting His love toward you as a child of God before you were even created, before anything was created. God knew you, chose you, and manifested His love toward you by predestinating that you would be adopted as His son, as His child. That you would be brought into this fellowship of love between Him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He didn't look upon you because you were more favorable than anybody else. By grace, you've been entered, you've entered into this relational love of God before the creation of the world. That love for you was manifested in his choosing and determining that sometime in the future you would be adopted as one of his children by faith in Jesus Christ. Let's keep moving. How else was his love manifested to his peculiar, special people? Well, not only in choosing and predestinating, but in also making that all come to pass. And what had to happen was that the Father would send his Son into the world. 1 John 4, 9 through 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That's what we're talking about. We're considering how is this nature of God, God is love, manifested to people in the world today. We've seen it in the sense of how it's manifested to everybody, but now we're taking a look at how it's manifested toward his peculiar people. And he's given us the answer to that question. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Man, that's magnificent. And that's what, I'm, what I was praying for that as I sat working on this lesson, you know, because I'm one of those, I lose the wonder that God could love me. And that's why I was hoping and praying, God, help us to see the wonder of this, that you as all sovereign God, he who sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, would be for those of us who look like grasshoppers, he would manifest his love in this way, that he would send the one who he has enjoyed this relational love Throughout all eternity, he would send his son for us. And really, again, go beyond that. He would send him to be as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God's love put on display in sending his son into the world. His love put on display in sending his son to be that atoning sacrifice for our sins. We're familiar with the account of Abraham when he was told to go and offer his only son Isaac as a burnt offering. 
And there's some wonderful parallels there between Abraham and God the Father and Isaac and Jesus Christ. But there's a significant difference in that story, that narrative. And Jerry Bridges writes of that in his book. He said, as the scene played out, God provided a ram to be offered instead of Isaac. But there could be no substitute for Jesus. Only he could die on that cruel cross to pay for our sins. And so the parallel ends there. Isaac spared. Jesus offered. Jesus going to the cross as that atoning sacrifice. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us in in this, or in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he wasn't dying for a lovely group of people. The word translated show goes beyond just showing something. The idea is, is something of a, of a confirmation. And that's what Paul is dealing with here with these people, giving them the basis of their assurance of being in the love of God. And so God offers this confirmation of his love in sending Jesus to die for us while we were yet sinners. He confirmed the surety of his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To know the love of God, to be in awe of God and the love of God for us, we must view this sacrifice, remembering that God the Father, God the Son, had been in an eternal loving relationship from all eternity, and still were, really. There was no loss of love in what was taking place on the cross. There was a confirmation, really, of that love between them as well there. Yet the Father poured out His wrath on the Son He loved, who was there becoming a curse in our place. In this way, the Father confirmed His love for us and the Son as well, too, as He gave Himself up willingly for us. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. Well, The love of God also manifested in that Jesus came willingly and gave himself as a willing sacrifice. Philippians 2, 6 through 8, who who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Now again, I keep going back to this point of this relational love. There are many things that Jesus, the Son, and the Father were enjoined from an eternity past, but we're focusing on the love of God. That, that relational love that they were enjoying from all eternity. Jesus did not consider that something that he would grasp onto that would keep him 
from coming and humbling himself, becoming like a servant and being, coming, becoming obedient even the death of the cross. Yes, their, their love continued. I'm wanting to emphasize there was no lessening in the love. But what he was enjoying before, he did not consider that something that he would hang on to that would keep him from coming and offering himself in love as a sacrifice on our behalf. The Father poured out his wrath on the Son he loved, who was there becoming a curse in our place. Jesus did come willingly. Uh, Matthew 20, 28, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so he did give his life as a ransom. And in that we see, certainly, the depth of the love of God on display. In Jesus' humanity, he reveals his struggle with what was about to take place. And so I'm, I'm just bringing this up too, that this was no light thing. We think, oh, Jesus was God. He could just offer himself, knew that uh, the resurrection was coming, so on and so forth. But the reality of in, in his humanness, this was no light act. This was no light manifestation of his love for the Father and for us as his peculiar people. Luke twenty-two forty-two. 42, he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then when he was on the cross, really the pinnacle of the time of suffering was when the Father had to turn away from his beloved Son and Jesus cried out, My God, my God. Ah, sorry. <laughs> you know what it says. Okay. In what Jesus did really there, um, those who put their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation really are declared the children of God. What The pinnacle of the love of God, the nature of God, God as love manifesting his love for us in that way. And in that sense, we are made sons of God. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, now we're understanding the magnificence of this now. Those of us who were estranged, separated from God, outside the covenants of promises, by his ultimate manifestation of love, now he has brought us into the inner circle. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this great, awesome, relational love, come in now. <laughs> Enter in to knowing me in this way. And that, that's awesome. John wrote about it. I've mentioned a little bit of this verse. First John 3 says, See what kind of love the Father has given us? Or behold, that we should be called children of God. How wonderful and crazy is that? That we who were so unlovely before enter into the kingdom of God, the very household of God, calling him Abba, Father. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it didn't know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. 
and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Privileges now, privileges to come when Jesus appears again. Amazing, gracious love of God. R.C. Sproul writes, Yet one of the most wondrous aspects of our salvation is that when God chooses to love his people, it's with love that is the same in character as the intra-Trinitarian love between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Another way of putting this is to say that the relationship that the Son enjoys with the Father by virtue of his being the eternal Son, we enjoy by grace. Amazing. Well, as uh, Francis Schaeffer once asked, how should we then live in light of this awesome God and his awesome manifestations of love to us? Well, we should certainly rejoice and give thanks and praise in who he is as God. (laughs) Let's start there. If he was not love, we would not have any of this. Well, he wouldn't be God. (laughs) But because of who he is, we have these privileges. So let us just, first of all, rejoice in the fact of who he is as God, that he is who he says he is. Psalm 86.5, For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. They were singing about it. We might sing about it this morning in our morning service. Psalm 104 and 5, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. So rejoice and give thanks and praise in who he is as God. Rejoice in how he displayed his love. Isaiah wrote of his steadfast love in Isaiah 63. Seven, he says, I recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. So there he is. Let's start counting. And we as well. Let's count. Let's count and count and count. Let's recount. All the ways in which God has abundantly blessed and shown his loving kindness to us, his steadfast love. Let's not lose sight of that. Let's not let our family members lose sight of that. Let's not let each other lose sight of it. Let's recount when we're together the riches of the love of God that he has and praise him continually. Paul reminded the people, that God has made us secure in his love. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ, or tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we don't just have the riches of his grace and his kindness and his love for us for a short period of time. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing ever, always, 
we will be in this relationship with love, of love with God. So lastly, rejoice as you walk in obedience and put his love on display. He poured out his love into our hearts. Can you imagine that? That which they enjoyed from all eternity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he's actually poured that out into our hearts. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What an honor we have. His Holy Spirit dwelling within us and his pure, perfect love poured out into our hearts. Next time you're challenged with saying, I just can't love that person. Yes, you can. If it's just you and the human worldly love, that would be a true statement. But the presence of the Holy Spirit within us as God's people means that we have the love of God poured out into our hearts. And by that power of that indwelling Holy Spirit, we can manifest that love of God. Therefore, Ephesians 5, 2, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. In 1 John 4, 7 through 12, beloved, let's love one another for love is from God. This biblical godly love is what he's talking about. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love doesn't really not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, beloved. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let's pray. Father, again, we can give thanks to you. As we look into your word, you put on grand display that you are a God of love. We've seen how you've manifested your love toward all people and toward us in particular. We're humbled before that, O oh God, in awe of who you are and give thanks that you've given us such a privilege of being brought into this circle, this Trinitarian relationship of love. Now we pray that uh, we would certainly praise you because of what you've done, but then also that we would love and put on display what is glorious about yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.